0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When people
1: consider the existence of God, sometimes they try to imagine what He's really like, especially when they don't really know who He is. They have to try to imagine something. When people try to imagine what He's like, sometimes we make comparisons with those things that we do know, or people that we do know. Sometimes we'll make comparisons and say that, well, if there is a God, then he definitely can't be anything like us, because we are limited in many ways. There are things that we do not know, for example, and so if there is a God, if he really is going to be a God in the way that we would assume that God would be, then he would have to know all things. That's just one example, that people will make comparisons by defining him in terms of the opposite of our limitations, to say that if there is a God, then he has no real limitations, and so we can try to define him or try to imagine what he is like by defining him in the context of the opposite of our inadequacies. This is one approach that people take. When we consider our limitations in terms of where we can be, that we cannot be everywhere at one time, then we'll talk about our God as being a person who can be everywhere at one time. When we talk about our limitations in terms of the influence that we have over other people, then we can also talk about our God in that context to say that he has no limitations in terms of his influence on other people, that he truly does have enough control to be able to decide all things for all people and to generate outcomes that he personally wants to see. These are ways that people define their God. It is an exercise of defining him in terms of the opposite of our inadequacies. But sometimes there's a potential failure when people attempt to do this, because our inadequacies are very far-reaching, and sometimes we don't really know what our inadequacies are. For example, a common characteristic of many people is that many people want others to be like them. Perhaps you know people like this. There are a lot of people who exist in our world who are part of our families or they are people who we work with. There's lots of people that make the assumption that they either have it all together or they have enough together to suggest that other people need to be just like them. Sometimes it's difficult for us to see that within ourselves. It's not very common for a person to be self-aware enough to recognize that they would really like other people to be like them. Sometimes I'll say that as a form of humor where I'll say things like, if everybody was just like me, then everything would be perfect. Everything would work out just fine. And I say that sometimes as an exercise of humor in order to exaggerate this point, that sometimes we have this expectation or we make this assumption that if everyone was like us, then everything would be just fine. But the reason why I mention this in this context is that when we fail to identify all of our characteristics in terms of our inadequacies, all of our inadequate characteristics, when we fail to do this, sometimes we can accidentally impose this on our God or the God that we create in our own imagination is what I mean by that. Sometimes we make the assumption that God is a certain way or that he has certain characteristics or attributes. And when we make that assumption, there is a potential failure because our definition may not really be the opposite of our inadequacies. It may not fulfill that. I'm not saying it's important for us to resolve these matters. I'm only saying this in order to establish the context that when people think about their God, they think of him in this way. And this is an important assumption that people make, and I'd like to spend some time with it because I really believe it says an awful lot about the way that we assume our God relates to us. So I'm going to follow through with this assumption or with this perspective that God might want others to be like us just like we want others to be like us. Sometimes people look at him in that way. They say, you know, I believe that our God wants us to be just like him if he is holy, if he is perfect. If there is nothing wrong with him, if he has a perfect way of doing things, if he has a perfect attitude, if he is the model individual that we should all aspire to be, if that is true, then perhaps he expects us to be like him, just like we expect others to be like us sometimes, but don't recognize that. When we fail to see that there is perhaps a problem with that, we may fail to define God in terms of the opposite of that assumption, and when we fail to do that, then we create a God who has expectations. Expectations that everybody needs to be like Him. So I'm gonna spend some time with that in this program, and that is that our God expects us to be like Him, or He expects us to be better than who we are, that we should at least try to be close to perfection, that if we certainly cannot meet the standard of perfection, then maybe we should at least try Maybe we should at least try to be perfect. These are the kinds of things I'd like to talk about. Now, to begin with, let's start with the nation of Israel. When the living God presented himself to the nation of Israel, and we have a very good historical record of these events given to us in the Old Testament, we know that our God, or at least we have plenty of evidence to show, that our God revealed himself to an entire nation of people. And when he presented himself to this entire nation of people... He presented himself in the context of the law. He presented himself in a way that they understood, and that was that he would have expectations of them, that he would expect them to be holy, that he would expect them to be righteous. And like I said, we can look at this and say, you know, this makes perfect sense. I mean, if there is a holy God and he has created us, he probably wants us to function in a better way. He probably wants us to be and live in a way that would not be described as dysfunctional. It's a reasonable assumption. And so when he spoke to the nation of Israel, we can see something like that in the way that he spoke to them and in the laws and the commandments that he gave them. He gave them commandments. He gave them laws. And these commandments and laws, they were given for the purpose of defining their entire way of life. How they would live, how they would relate to each other, what they would do in the event that there was a failure, what they would do in the event that they violated one another, and how they would resolve those issues and those circumstances. That was what the living God gave to them. And so, in a way, the law of God, as it was given through Moses, is a description of the expectations that our God has of us, his people. That the law of God can be described as a list of expectations. That our God expects us to live in obedience to Him. And if we do live in obedience to Him, then perhaps we will be who He created us to be. But if we don't live in obedience to Him, then we're definitely not living as He intended us to live. Why would He create people who would then be dysfunctional? No, it doesn't make any sense. This again could be considered to be another assumption, but let's follow through with that and assume that our God would do something, he would create something that would be functional. In that case, then the law is reasonable. It is a reasonable expectation that our God has given that and we should consider living in obedience to it. Now we know, or at least those of us who have given it some sincere effort, we know that there is no way that we can live in obedience to the commandments. There's no way that we can do that. And it's my deep conviction that our God gave us the commandments for that purpose, that he didn't give us the commandments so that we could meet his expectations, but that he gave us those commandments so that he could eventually show us that there was no way that we could meet those expectations and that the fact is, is that we need his mercy. That's what we really need. It's my belief that that's why He gave the law. But let's follow through instead with this notion that perhaps he has expectations of us. I'd like to follow through with that. When the living God personally showed up and revealed himself to the nation of Israel, he sent Moses as a forerunner, and then he arrived, he presented himself, and he spoke to the people and gave the laws. Now, of course, they received Moses, the forerunner, but they were unwilling to receive God when he manifested himself to the people. Later on, the Lord tried again. He sent John the Baptist as a forerunner, and he manifested in the flesh He manifested in the flesh and was identified as the person Jesus. That's how our God revealed himself to the nation of Israel a second time. And again, they rejected the Lord Jesus, who was God manifested in the flesh. But in many ways, they received the forerunner, John the Baptist, who testified of him when he arrived, There is some consistency when you compare Moses and the living God on the mountain and John the Baptist and Jesus when Jesus arrived. But when Jesus arrived, he also presented the law. When the Lord showed himself on Mount Sinai, he presented the law. And when the Lord revealed himself as Jesus, he again presented the law, which is the description of God's expectations of us. The law is a description of our God's expectations of us who are his people. And when Jesus was here conducting his ministry, that's what he taught. He taught the law. Now, he did teach the law of Moses, but in some ways he went beyond the law of Moses. He went beyond the law of Moses in the sense that he went into the deeper issues of our hearts, not just the behavior of our flesh, but also what we might be thinking or where our attitudes might be. And so he expanded on the law, depending upon your point of view. There are other points of view that would suggest that he taught the law in its purity. However, let me just follow through with this for the moment, and that is to say that Jesus taught the law in a greater way. He described perfection in a greater way. For example, when he was talking to the people During his Sermon on the Mount, he told the people that their righteousness needed to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And the scribes and the Pharisees were totally devoted to living in obedience to the Mosaic Law. That's one way that I can describe Jesus' intent to go beyond the Law of Moses. Jesus also said that they are to be as perfect as God. As perfect as God. Now, that is definitely something that needs to be defined. What does it mean to be as perfect as God, as holy as God? That is a standard that we would really need to give some thought to, especially if we don't know the fullness of God and what His perfection really is and what it really represents. But the way that the Lord Jesus presented this was to say that if we were not as perfect as God then there was no way that we would possibly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so it's a very serious matter when you consider it from that point of view. But what I would like to say is that there were expectations that God had of the nation of Israel. And then Jesus came, which was another manifestation of our God. He came and lived among us as a person manifested in the flesh and dwelt among us as was described in the Gospel of John chapter 1. And through the Lord Jesus, he presented to us the law, the expectations that he would have of his disciples. But that's not the end of the story. You may have discovered that if you spend time in various churches, eventually you'll find one that has some expectations of you beyond what the Lord Jesus said. That they may tell you that they expect you to obey the law of Moses, but they may also tell you that they expect you to obey the commandments that were given through Jesus. But in addition to that, they may also tell you that they've got a few other laws of their own that were not explicitly written down. You know, laws that are more applicable to the modern age that we are in right now. That there are laws of the church and that the laws of the church define additional expectations that our God may have of us. So this is the way people end up living. A lot of people live this way. They start living on the basis of trying to be obedient to God as he described his commandments through Moses. They try to be obedient according to the commandments that Jesus gave during his ministry. They also try to be obedient through the expectations of the church that they are a part of. And when people try to live this way, eventually they are going to discover that they just can't do it that they fail, that there is no way that they can possibly live up to all these expectations. But then how do they perceive themselves in God's eyes? What do people really think about the way that God views them? When you consider all of this, there's really only one conclusion that I think you can reasonably come to, and that is that your God is disgusted with you. That he has all these expectations of you that he described through Moses, he has expectations of you that he described through Jesus, he has expectations of you that he described through your church, through your pastor, through other people in your life. There's only one conclusion, if you're really going to be honest, and that is that you don't meet those expectations. That God may have all of these expectations of you, but there is no way that you are going to fulfill these expectations. And so what are you going to do? How are you going to cope with this? How are you going to resolve this matter? Well, there are many people who believe that it is true that you will not be able to meet all of God's expectations. But you should at least try. You should at least try. Even though you know you can't do it all, we can admit that there's no way that we can do it all. We should at least try to do some. That way, we can at least say that we really tried our best. Now, as far as I can tell, the Lord never said anything about just try to do your best. But there really is no alternative. I mean, when you consider the assumption that he has all these expectations of us, when you really consider this, then there is no conclusion but to just try to do your best because you definitely cannot do it all. But do you really try to do your best? I mean, do you really? Now, if you think that you really do your best, I personally think you ought to examine yourself a little bit more closely because I personally know of many occasions when I have sinned or when I have failed, and I know deep down inside that I didn't really do my best, that I actually did it deliberately. And I've asked a number of people about this also, and other people tell me the same thing, that they cannot say with deep conviction, to themselves at least, that they really do try their best. Now, having said that, I know of many occasions when I have suggested that to people where I've tried to defend myself and my failures by telling them, look, I did my best. Well, did I really? I mean, deep down inside, I know that I could have done maybe a little bit more. Maybe just a little bit. But to them, I'm telling them that I really did do my best. And other people as well have told me that they have told others that they have tried to do their best, knowing full well, deep down inside, that they really could have done a little bit more. And so when you go before your God, when you go before your God, are you really going to go before him and relate to him with that kind of an attitude? I mean, are you really going to say to him, Lord, I'm so glad to see you because I know, I know that in all things, in all ways, I always did my best. Are you really going to say that? I mean, with deep conviction, and with sincerity, that you are going to say that to your God, that you really... No, you're not going to say that. You know full well that you have not done your best. And if you don't know that, then I'm confident that he will explain that to you, that he knows that you haven't really done your best. I don't think saying that you've done your best is going to be impressive to him at all. And so not only did you fail to meet all of his expectations, but you failed to do your best to meet any of them. That's what it's going to look like you are going to fail to do your best to meet any of his expectations. So what are you going to think about yourself then? I mean, if that is going to be the case and this revelation comes to you, when you discover that you are now going to be officially confronted with a situation where you're going to go before your God knowing full well that you have not done your best, and he knows this also, then what are you going to do? What is this going to look like? Well, it's going to look like one thing, and that is depression. That's what it's really going to look like. You're going to find yourself in a situation where you are going to be depressed, and you should be, because that is very depressing. But what about him? What about your God who has had all these expectations of you? Do you suppose that he's happy about this? Do you suppose that he's going to be excited to see you, knowing full well that you didn't meet his expectations? With these kinds of assumptions, the only conclusion that I think you can come to is to conclude that your God is going to be disappointed. He's going to be very disappointed because you do not meet his expectations and you never will meet his expectations. And so his disappointment might very well turn into depression and perhaps even despair. No, I don't think that's going to be the case. But if you were to follow this through to the logical conclusion, that really is the only thing you can come to, that while you eventually come to a point of total despair, which in this case would be a good thing, because then you would turn to him for his mercy, we may make the assumption that because of his expectations, he also might be led to a point of despair. I don't think that's the case, because what I see is that our God has forgiven us. That's What I see, I believe that our God did define expectations, that he clearly gave us a list of expectations that are defined well in the Mosaic law, that were defined well by him when he was here as the Lord Jesus. I believe that he has given us lots of evidence to show that he had expectations. But I also believe that he knew full well that we were not going to meet these expectations. And so anticipating that, expecting that, I can say that his expectation was that we would fail, not that we would succeed. That this is what he really expected. He really expected failure. He certainly presented his commandments to us, and with that he gave us a definition of his expectations. But knowing full well that we would not fulfill these requirements I do not believe that we caught him by surprise. I think that he expected us to fail to live up to his expectations. And the way that he dealt with this was by providing a way for us to be forgiven. And the way for us to be forgiven is very simple. He forgave us. That is the way. There was nothing that we could do in order to meet his expectations. He knew that this was not possible. And so even though he directed us to at least try, and perhaps even to just try to do our best, knowing full well that we would fail, he also he also made the provision for forgiveness. And the reason why we know this is because the Lord Jesus came to die for our sins, and this was established before the foundation of the world. When the foundation of the world was placed and made, and when the Lord began the world that we now know and participate in, he knew That the world would need a Savior. And so, as part of his creative process, he expected failure. He expected sin. And with this expectation, he also made arrangements so that eventually, at a certain point in time, at an appointed time, the Lord would come Himself and He would provide for propitiation, He would provide for forgiveness. And that's what he did. He provided forgiveness for the entire world, knowing full well that the world would definitely have a need for it. And so I believe I can say with great confidence that, yes, it's reasonable for people to assume that if there is a God, he would expect us to be holy. I think it's reasonable to assume that, especially when the true and living God gave to us a list of commandments, a list of expectations, encouraged us to live In a way that would be holy, it's reasonable to assume that he would expect that. But no, I believe the truth is, is that he expected us to fail, that that was what he really expected. He expected us to fail and he made a provision for us to be reconciled to him after we recognize that we cannot be obedient to him, after we recognize that we fail and that we need his mercy. It is then that we can embrace each other in the midst of our condition, having a need for mercy, and in the midst of our God who is merciful, the two of us can come together and begin to have a relationship on that premise. But there's more. Even though we may believe that our God has expectations of us, there is also another point of view, and that is the expectations that we might have of our God. Why would we have expectations? Why would we have expectations of him? Well, that's easy to answer. The reason why we might have expectations of him is because when he gave us the law, when he gave us the law through Moses, when he personally came as the Lord Jesus and he gave us the law then again, when he gave us the law, he also told us what we would receive in the event that we were successful, in the event that we were obedient to all of the commandments. So when he presented the commandments through Moses, and then he came and he presented the commandments himself personally as Jesus, when he presented the commandments, he knew, yes, he knew that we would fail. He knew that we would not fulfill the requirements that he described. And so while he gave us the commandments and told us that he expected us to obey them, he also expected us to fail. He knew that we would not. But he didn't do that without incentive. He didn't give us these commandments without offering something in return. And this is one of the origins of the expectations that people have of God. They look at the law. They look at the commandments and they see that God said that if you obey all of the commandments, then he will deliver. He will open up his warehouses. He will send FedEx or UPS. He will deliver. He will deliver Plenty of flour in your kneading bowl. He will give you one of those cows that he's got on a thousand hills. He will deliver. He promised that he would do so. And so there is this mutual relationship that gets established between God and his people through the law in the context that he will bless them if they will obey. That's the type of relationship that was offered through the law. He expects us to obey, and we can expect him to deliver. Now, the fact is, is that we will not obey, and so we will never get a delivery. He will never be required to give us anything. He will never be required to bless us in any way whatsoever, because we will not fulfill his expectations of living in obedience to all of his commandments. The problem is, though, is that some people assume that if they do their best then he will compensate them, in a little way at least, if he cannot deliver all of his blessings. Maybe he can do his best to meet us halfway, something like that. There are many people who begin to think in these terms. The Lord Jesus also said the same thing on many occasions. He said it this way, though. He said that he would do anything that you ask But, of course, before you ask, make sure you're reconciled with your brother. If your brother has anything against you, then go be reconciled with him first, and then he will do whatever you ask. Now, of course, you have to go through the parallel passages in the Gospels where he said, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. You have to look at all the passages in order to understand the full context. That, sure enough, he does give requirements For you to receive what he has to offer. But people expect something from Jesus. They expect something from God for a good reason. And that reason is because he told us to expect something. But if we will examine everything that he told us, we would know that we will never earn or deserve anything from our God. And we must again rely on his mercy. And I will continue with this in the next program.